0: Live from San Luis Obispo, California, USA, is our guest tonight. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through the industry insights, information, or simply learning from them. And today we have Mark Cortez, author, entrepreneur, and long-time veteran of the solar electric vehicle infrastructure and energy storage industries. And he is one of the solar industry's early architects, and he's working on the front lines of the climate change industry for decades. So he's an expert. He's our master for today. Welcome to the show, Mark.
1: (laughs) Thank you very much. Great to be here.
0: Thank you, Mark. Thank you. So, Mark, this whole debate now about climate has many a times, whenever there is a discussion, it tends to go uh, towards You know, one is right, one is wrong towards a bit on the political side, which we will avoid and try to uh, break those difficulties in that understanding of this simple thing which has become so complex through you. And that's why you are the master for today. And you offer a new climate narrative which is down the middle aisle away from today's climate extremes. So, uh, Mark, sitting from... Uh, for, from where you are, how do you see this? And let's not take, as you already take a middle position, where do we see this climate thing in reality going? What is this climate debate all about? What is this climate change all about? Where, whether it is real, is it, is it ma- more of panic? What exactly it is purely from a layman's perspective, who is walking down the street, is facing all the problems of his life and he is still trying to figure out what this climate thing is all
1: about yeah boy that's a lot of questions right it's a big problem and it's it's uh, certainly these days we're all talking about it's on the front page of uh, all the newspapers uh certainly with politicians it's uh it's a it's a big issue and so let me start just my own thoughts on this i've never uh, i believe that climate change is real i think of course, the climate is always changing. It's it's been changing ever before we we got around, and uh, we as uh, you know, as humans and as mankind, are certainly exerting some influence on it. So, um, so I've never said otherwise. I've never said uh, I, you know I'm not a climate denier, as it's called, um, like a lot of people. But um, uh, I also uh, have spent years now. Uh, I, I sold my first solar panel in 1999. So I spent I've spent decades. Uh, in the renewable energy field and um, really being a consumer of climate science uh, for decades now. And so I've noticed probably over the past eight or nine years how politicized it's it's gotten, uh, but also how apocalyptic it's gotten, it's gotten right? So we're all, uh, uh, the stories we read in the big newspapers are, hey, uh, we're all going to be dead by Thursday because of the climate. And of course, the reality is so much different. And so I've had some uh, growing um, differences in opinions with both sides of the argument and uh, started to really look into it, read the IPCC reports and have really dug into it a lot just to really try to find what's the truth? What's the, the truth of the climate? And it's it's some muddy waters. And uh, that's why I called it the journey into the muddy climate middle. It's 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 really difficult to find true information that is not um it's not run by, by some of the media outlets. And, um, and really, I think the, the, our politicians now have sort of co-opted the whole message and, uh, and really driven that home. So we're seeing that more than ever now. And my goal was uh, as a professor at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, I started to see, you know, young adults going into the workforce who have had a steady diet of 22 years, 23 years of of hey, we're all going to be dead because of the climate, and they're starting to think that they can't have kids. And uh, boy, as someone who was uh, you know who helped build this uh, industry, I, I kept thinking, man, how did we fail so bad? That's that is just absolutely not true. And um, you know, messages of hopelessness to children is a really bad thing, just in general. <laughs> so uh, sending kid, you know, giving kids education, kicking them off into the world, and then saying, oh, by the way, you're going to be dead because of the climate is a really bad way to have them start their professional lives. So, so I took it upon myself to start to dig into this, communicate more, uh, try to understand really what's going on. And uh, that's what started me off on this journey.
0: Right, Mark. So what do we tell uh, the generation Z? What do we tell them so that they get the right understanding of things as they are? Because, uh, Suppose if for a person like me, if I'm using water, then I think, OK, climate change or oh, I should conserve water. And I don't know. Then I, I I, come to know, OK, there is a pipe broken somewhere and water is flowing down the streets and nobody is bothered. It's like or, or there is so much of consumption of water by certain sections of people and they are not too much bothered about this or anywhere else in the world so much flooding is happening, so much things. Are, and nobody talks of that sort of water to conservation or water harvesting and all that the way it should be. And sometimes you feel like as if you are walking uh, on a wrong sort of a story. So what exactly? So you don't know what do you tell others if they ask you what exactly it is? Because you are an expert. You all have a, You have a water conservation startup called yeah. Liquid Liquid So you would be knowing this these things better about water conservation related to climate and you know, whether one should plant trees, what should one do not know. So you tell us what we tell the next generation.
1: Yeah, well, so no, no one ever talks about conservation, right? Conserving water, conserving electricity. You know, our climate problems, our contribution to the climate is a consumption problem. We're just using too much stuff so uh using less stuff always a good idea so you know here in california we have a drought i know drought is is endemic all over across the uh, the world in different places so trying to conserve water uh and being aware of it like you just said is of course uh completely responsible um you know uh, the best thing that uh, happened i hate to say it like this but uh, the best thing that happened to the climate over the past 25 years was covid because uh, we, we In one year, we cut our emissions, in the U.S. anyway, by uh, over 11%. And the reason we did that was because we just used less stuff. We did less things. We stayed at home. Um, so conservation works. And I don't know why people don't talk about that. I don't know why any politician doesn't talk about it other than I think they're probably nervous about looking into a camera and saying, all right, you know, I'm going to be the first politician that tells you that you maybe you should use less stuff, Right but it's true, right? This is just a responsible thing. Go home, turn off the lights, use less water. um, Don't throw things away. Don't, don't buy a TV every six months. You know, uh, things like that. I just make, make complete common sense. The other thing I I, um, uh, try to tell people when they're concerned about the climate is uh, you got to peel the onion a little bit. If you're, if all you're doing is getting your, your information from, from the media If you're getting the New York Times version of the climate, you're getting a very, very biased version of the climate. They have made a choice uh, of which scenario to communicate to you. And they're very clear. They they have an apocalyptic view of the climate and it fits certain people's agenda. So my recommendation is if you're going to read the media, read a broad, broad brush media, you know, read read media from both sides, make a point of it. You may not agree with it, but at least you'll get different views of it. And if you can, try to get into some of the science, because most people never, ever, ever read the science. Right. We we read the uh, Washington Post version. uh, And at that point, it's already been sanitized and you're reading points of view. So you're not reading real science and you're not reading um, the real the real thing. So I always say, you know, try to dig into that a little bit more. And then when you, I've trained myself now to start looking for qualifiers, things, you know, secret words like could, maybe, might, if, you know, if something bad happens, then hey, this could result, you know, in the Himalayas mounting or uh, melting and things like that. Well, that, that just means that it's complete fiction, right? It just means that this is someone's making up a story and there's lots of information to support these stories, but the point is these are not facts. These are just stories. There are narratives that are being out there. Uh, and of course, politicians pick up on them because it's a great way to uh, to help sway public opinion. And it's a great way to get money for projects that they're interested in. Um, and so we've been doing this for a really long time. So I would say try to dig deeper as, as you can and read a bunch of different uh, outlets to try to get different perspectives on this, because Um, I think when you really understand it and when you really try to dig into this, um, most uh, one thing I always say about the climate and I always remind myself is our entire climate effort is an exercise in trying to predict the future. That's that's just absolutely true. (laughs) We're spending trillions of dollars to try to because we're 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 trying to predict the future. And I always I always point that out because we can't. We've never been right about this stuff. Uh, There are certain things we know if we turn and we look backwards and we look at science and studies that have shown the way the world has changed. Great. That's great information. But then turning around and trying to project those futures, um, it's complete fiction. And and it's just really important to remember that. So when you read in The New York Times that, you know, that things are going to get really bad and that New York's going to flood and the Himalayas are going to mount and displace two billion people, that's just pure fiction and uh, so it really is and so I, I would just say you know to have people look at and read at this stuff and train themselves a little bit to to really have a more discerning eye about this because uh, if you really dig into it you'll find that um, a lot of these narratives are just not not true there are si- there's some science that leads us in certain directions the climate science tells us that we should be concerned and that we should pay attention to what's going on with our effect on the climate but it certainly doesn't tell us that we're all going to be dead by next week. So um so that's 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 what i i typically counsel people is to is to really dig into it and spend some time with it don't take the headlines version of it try to dig into it a little bit more than that.
0: Right. Right Mark. So it's time from for climate maturity which you put it as climate maturity. If i if Climate I'm, maturity, I'm, yes.
1: I'm,
0: yes, if I and that's that's the book that you have written uh journey yeah. into the muddy climate muddle middle yeah now, yeah so from from looking at that i'll come to the book but even in terms of uh becoming climate mature to understand it into how do you see where exactly is our position at the moment as humanity in terms of climate as per your understanding who have no axe to grind So that will, that will, the second thing is, when do we move into the position of, you know, when towards climate panic? So where is that ground, which is real? And which is the, which is the ground, which is, you know, we are then treading into some agenda, whatever it is, whoever it is. Secondly, I wanted to ask you uh, again, is that, why are people creating these, uh, this sort of a either panic, or 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 some people are saying nothing is going to happen. Then the middle ground or the real ground is also lost. I'm asking again a couple of questions at the same time so that as an expert you answer them at your own pace, Mark.
1: Sure. Well, let me start with the second one. What? Why do? Why have we created climate panic? Because um, it sells right? I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, Al Gore right, infamously uh, made his movie Inconvenient Truth uh, and he, in his interviews, he was very clear. He said, he, he said, oh, I'm paraphrasing uh, and I actually have the exact quote in the book, but he said, hey, it's fine to exaggerate things um, in order to get people's attention. And um, and then he had some scientists that helped uh, that helped him do that dr Sh- steven schneider from stanford won a nobel prize alongside al gore as his scientific right-hand man and uh, he he was very clear about this he said there's science and then there's my opinion of the science and i have no problem giving you my opinion even if it strays from the science and hopefully they're the same but if not that's okay i i believe certain things and i want to i want you to understand that this is an important issue so so it started a long time ago. We've been getting a steady diet of what I call scientific advocacies, which is uh, there is some science. Yes, of course. And there's lots of science that I'm not a clim- climate scientist, so I, I don't want to uh, pretend that I am. But I mean, the scientific community has been very clear about uh, they're also advocating. They're also taking positions on things. And there's a whole section of climate science that, that believes that this is, uh, you know, it's their opinion that this is something really bad, and, and they have no problem uh, telling you, um, they they said it very clearly that they have no problem exaggerating all this because they want to get your attention. Um, so politicians trying to scare you is nothing new. It's always done, and they do it because of what just happened in the U.S. where we had an election, uh, but before that, we just uh, signed all of these bills where there's massive spending bills because they have... Successfully scared enough people to believe that we actually have to fund all of these uh, projects um, to help, uh, you know, build solar energy, windmill, electric vehicles, all these things. Which I have nothing against all of these technologies, but uh, to break the bank to to try to solarize the world is not a very good plan. Uh, you know, I worked in solar for for decades. The idea that we can solarize the world and somehow save the planet is is, is a bit ridiculous. And, uh, and I'll use that word. It's just, the I mean, even the simple math just doesn't work. So, um, so, you know, that, that's how I feel about it. I think that, that you know, the, there's a reason that people get scared and, and it's a strategy. Uh, it's, it's politicians wanting to scare us. Um, they have uh, partners in the media that help them with that. And then they have science partners as well that help them craft this very carefully crafted narrative. You know, um, just a, as a, a little bit of an aside, you know, everyone talks about this 1.5 degree, two degree, uh, uh, these tipping points. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of digging into this now, but everyone assumes that that is this incredible science baseline, that there's all these studies that show that, when in fact, the opposite is absolutely true. <laughs> these are just numbers some guys came up with. Um, you can, they admit it. They say, you know, it's just a number I made up because uh, it's about right and uh, people can remember it and politicians can create good sound bites, but it has become the, uh, the baseline for all of these things, uh, you know? And so uh, the scientific basis for, for these things uh, are just not there in a lot of, w- in a lot of ways. So, um, so we've, we've turned science into this sort of um, now, now it's attribution science where there's a whole field of study that does nothing but try to blame events on the climate and there's a big long list of things you know hey this is probably because of the climate and nowadays if you walk outside and it's two degrees hotter than it was uh, last year at this time then people go oh my god it's climate change and you know the, the, the real answer is no it's just a hot day you know <laughs> it's just things like that so
0: right right whether, whether scientists can uh, go left or right or center or whichever way it is the fact is that if Nobody speaks the truth. Nature certainly will. And nature is speaking in its uh, in its way, different ways, at different places across the planet. That That is one thing one cannot ignore, whether it's part of climate sure. change or not. But one thing is there, there is a lot of uh, things, not, not there are a lot of things that nature is trying to tell us. Uh, asking you about this particular issue, who do you think is... Getting is being the most impacted from whatever change, uh, maybe not towards the panic side, but even from the real, real reality side, whatever the way the nature is trying to say, which is the, which are the places who are getting most impacted? Is it the U.S.? Is it somewhere else? Because a lot of noise may be happening in the U.S., but other area, other other parts of the planet are also get are bearing the brunt of it
1: yeah I think I think it's it's an economic question I think um, you know anything that happens it, you know as has always happened uh, the, the the poorest people um, and you know the poorest people always get hit the most by anything so if if there's weather events if there's economic events the poor people always always get at the worst and uh, and that's you know that's one of the thing the reasons that I, I have been on this journey to try to dig into the truth because, you know, here in the U S we talk about climate change is hurting the poor and we've allocated all this money, but I can tell you one thing. um, There's no Teslas in poor neighborhoods, you know, (laughs) poor neighborhoods. uh, I come from Oakland and it's a pretty rough, rough town. And um, you know, uh, it's now being gentrified and it's starting to transform, but you know, in the bad parts, the poor parts of Oakland, they don't need Teslas. They need health care. They need mental health care. They need jobs. They need security. They need safety for their kids. They need schools. So, you know, um, so I, I really cringe a bit when, you know, I look at these Teslas. They're great vehicles. They're wonderful to drive. They're fantastic technology, but there's twenty to $30,000 of public money attached to each car. And, uh, you know, they're not going to the inner city. They're not going to the poor people. So you know, uh, poor the poor people across the world tend to get hit by these problems the most, of course. Um, and uh, we have used, unfortunately, we have used uh, words like social justice and things like that to justify all of our spending programs. But they're not getting the benefits of it. You know, um, you know, a, la- a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago, John Kerry, w- uh, our our you know ambassador climate ambassador they had big photo ops of him standing in africa um, telling them that they're going to get you know a bunch of solar panels and a bunch of carbon credits when what they really want is oil and gas they want they want the same technology that helped live uh, lift civilizations out of poverty they don't want stuff that's only working five six hours a day so that kind of stuff just drives me crazy i think you know how out of touch are we especially as a, as a developing nation or a developed nation who is trying to be a leader in climate, you know, let's be, let's be real here. Developed nation, developing nations, they don't want just partial energy. They want cheap, abundant, twenty four seven, three sixty five 365 energy. They want stuff that works all the time so they can help build societies, lift people out of poverty. So if ever they were affected more by this, they need the resources to climb out of, uh, to climb out of poverty and build, build their nations. So.
0: Right, right, Mark. So you you say that you are trying to find the truth. Where do you, where will you find the truth when almost everybody is speaking half truth? There is nothing called full truth. How, what, is it, is it, is it what you are trying to deal, have you uh, trying to deal in your book? Is that what your book is all about?
1: Yeah, that's that's part of what I drew. So, you know, I should I should say I am not a climate scientist. I don't conduct climate research, so I'm not going to do battle as to if uh, one scientist is more right than another science scientist. You know what I what I what I highlight and the way I'm doing this is I'm just reading everything I can possibly read. So everyone holds up these big uh, international uh, governmental panels on climate change, the IPCC. They write these reports every six or seven years. Um, the latest set of reports was I think it's 8300 pages so it's it's enormous but um, and it's a summary of climate science from all over the world over the you know uh, this climate science and boy the results are all over the map and if you read these things you realize the language uh, that they use there's nothing definitive it's all very you know it's likely that this is happening or it's not likely they assign probabilities and um, the 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 number of things that are that are can actually be proved is really really small um you know you can when you look backwards and you chart temperatures and things you can actually measure okay those are those are fine but then when they project their models forward they are literally all guesses and they're made that way Uh, uh but but people take those as as fact and um they have some extreme scenarios and those are the ones that uh the, uh, the media has typically run with these very extreme scenarios that have almost zero probability of happening. Um, so part of what I'm doing is just reading and communicating what I'm finding and what I'm reading, the, the, the stuff you're not reading in the New York Times or the Washington Post or some of the big media outlets. If you actually read a lot of this stuff, you get a, a bit of a different perspective. You also, you know, you, uh, there's, uh, I've developed a bit of an understanding of how the scientific community works um and so you know they're they're motivated by getting grants. They have to get grants to publish. And the only things that get published are things that you know that are not boring. So most of the research that gets that gets done are inconclusive. And when I say most, you're talking ninety you know, above ninety percent. Well, if it's boring and inconclusive, it doesn't get published, which means no one sees it, which it means it never makes the media. <laughs> so by by nature. You know, our focus is on the things that look strange, uh, and then, of course, it, it gets conflated into these big stories. So part of what I'm doing is just reading everything I can, reading different perspectives, trying to peel back the layers. I think I, I mentioned that i'm I've trained myself uh, a bit to try to look for the qualifiers and and separate stories. When I read a story now, boy, within within seconds, I can see whether or not this is this is something that's true or it's just made up. And so when you start seeing things like, if, uh, if America keeps doing what we're doing, then the world is going to die, right? Those, those sorts of stories are, they're just, they're just made up. And um, so starting to do that and trying to extract some of that information and, and put out some solutions that, um, that seem, seem plausible. So uh, in my book, one of the things I did was I I developed, I didn't develop it, but there's a, there's a uh, organization called Project Drawdown that has a list of 70 to 100 solutions with dollar amounts that could affect co2 levels uh, and i include that in there with a with the prioritized ranking based on dollars and money spent and it shows you know that the the first 30 or so uh, solutions are really nature-based forest preservation uh, better farming uh, education of of people in developed countries to have less children is the number one I- the, the number one thing that could have the biggest worldwide benefit, you know, if we educate ourselves um, to 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 really be aware of these things. Um, so that's the, those are some of the ways that I'm trying to help uh, uh, communicate some of these things.
0: Right, right, Mark. Now, let me understand one thing from you for the audience: is that uh, a lot of this debate is happening in the U.S. and people have taken their own positions, even. Media, in your opinion, has uh, done so. You read a lot of stuff and so much of almost all that stuff is available online. What is your understanding of the international media or international writings on this particular topic? Does the world think, or world media, world writers, world scientists beyond the US, do they also think the same way? that the, that uh that responsible people in the us uh, are, are are writing or talking about how or is there a difference uh, how it all will reflect because i have not had the chance to reach too much indian media or indian writing is a bit different in that sense and I, as of now we don't have that sort of a climate panic though we have gone for net zero 20 70 that sort of a target and even electric vehicles but we are doing at our own pace our yeah. government has been very pragmatic in that sense and looking at our needs but we also want to do whatever we can for the planet and we have that sort of a uh you can say mindset that has been for quite some time now so what is your understanding of uh the u.s sort uh, u.s sort of a uh you can say writing or understanding that is trying to be imposed and is the other part of the world?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I, I mean, I think it varies. I, um, you know, Europe tends to be, um, especially Germany tends to, to be very similar to uh, the US in that regard, in terms of their, their, their green uh, approach to things, but that's also now run into all kinds of problems with the current war and energy prices, and you know, uh, uh, most times reality sort of slaps you in the face. So, uh, as much as you want to go down a certain road, when you're paying uh, six dollars a gallon for gas, uh, all of a sudden, you know, it kind of wakes you up a bit. So, um, I, look, I think that most most media that follows the climate, there we're just sort of repurposing everything. So, you're a former journalist, right? So, so maybe someone will do some investigation or or. Uh, dig into it, and then that just gets repeated all over the place. My, what I what my experience with the the international uh, the IPCC documents is, you know, these things these things are massive. They they're they're written by hundreds and hundreds of people, um, and you know, the IPCC is is an arm of the United Nations. We started talking about the United Nations, right? And so, what is the United Nations? They're a political group. And, and it's primarily an economic one, right? So, so you know, what's the standard story? What, what's the story that if you're a developing nation, what do you want? You want money. You want money from rich countries. You want, so so what are you going to say? You're going to say, of course, of course we're getting ravaged by the climate. So U.S., China, uh, you know, Great Britain, help us. You need to give us tons of money so we can, because we're the victims of this. Now, is it true? Well, No. Uh, you know, we had this we had this discussion earlier. You know, if you're poorer, then you're you're affected uh, more by all kinds of different problems. So, so that that's been my experience in reading this thing. You know, the the you know the developed nations they have an official position, and so um, you know the the U.S. media will say climate's very very bad. It's very and super super important. Um, China will go come. <laughs> Will stand up in front of the world and say, yes, we believe it's good. It's a big problem and we're going to go to net zero. And then when the camera turns off, they order a bunch of coal plants. So they're not too worried. Right. And so, um, so it varies all over the place. I think you're finding that these stories get out there and then they just travel the world these days. You know, it can be done instantly through social media and things like that. So there are some standard stories. Uh, that have that, that go around and, and that's part of the challenge. What is the truth? Finding the truth is really difficult and finding, um, you know, I, I appreciate India's pragmatic approach because it's what we need. You know, no one's going to break the bank. If, if gas is $6 a, a gallon, um, you know, you're not going to spend, you know, $80,000 on a Tesla if you can't afford it. You're just not going to do it.
0: Right, right, Mark. Uh, not to understand when, when is the your book coming out, or is it already available uh, for people to buy?
1: Yeah, it's available on uh, on Amazon. I've been uh, it's uh, you're selling it through there, and uh, or my website climaturity.com. Um, so it's 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 gone out there, and it's starting to you know it's not a uh, it's a journey when you do that, especially if you're coming from the the renewable energy industry because. Um, there's a sort of a standard thing that you're supposed to say when you come from that industry. And this is, this is a bit of a straying from that. So um, a lot of different opinions, a lot of emotions evolved uh, around, you know, with this, with this sort of approach, but I, I believe that we need to be having a lot more of these discussions because we don't, we don't have them very much. I mean, as much as excited as we are in the U S about this, there's very few debates. In fact, there's never, there's no debates. It's just the the true believers yelling and the true non-believers not listening they're just got their fingers in their ears no one's talking about it everyone's talking about it but no one's debating we're not allowed to ask questions we're not allowed to question the science if you uh, if you do what I'm doing which is get out there in the middle and try to ask questions and really search for the truth boy you're gonna catch a lot of arrows and uh, it's not a it's not a uh, it's not for the faint of heart <laughs> so, so. Right,
0: right. that's that's that, that's very unfortunate for uh, I don't know whether we're good for one side or bad for one side, but that's certainly very unfortunate for the lonely planet that we have. The only planet and the lonely planet that right. we have. Right. Yes. So, But to understand from you, Mark, is that you said electric vehicles are good, but they are obviously they are, or, or the solar panels, they, you cannot obviously, uh, solar panels cannot uh, solve all the problems and they cannot perhaps solve, save the planet. Either you can Say windmills and all that stuff and so what is going to save the planet if there is an answer to that
1: well I think um, you know regarding uh, you know again our climate problem our contribution to the climate is a consumption problem so um, my issue with with solar panels windmills electric vehicles if you think about it you know if you take a step back all we're doing is consuming more you know I mean <laughs> right so if you if you install solar panels on your house, you're adding CO2 because they're manufactured product. Now, it's if you use solar versus electricity from a coal plant, is it better? Sure, but it's still becoming worse. So the only thing you're really doing is making things less worse. You're not necessarily making it better. You're not removing CO2. Um, you're just making it less worse. You're slowing down the growth of the problem. So Electric vehicles are the same thing. So um, best thing you you could do is go home and turn off the lights. Best thing you could do is not drive that car, not buy those cars and not spur more consumption. That's just we're, we're now incentivizing people to go out and buy a bunch of more stuff. Uh, and so that seems to be the wrong way to do this, which is uh, we're just continuing to consume and consume and consume. So um, at some point, if we're worried about uh, CO2, And too much CO2 in the atmosphere, and that's what this whole discussion is about. we got to start removing it. we got to start managing it directly. And one of the ways you do that is preserving nature. Quit cutting down trees to build electric vehicle factories. You know, it just makes no sense. So uh, reforestation, I keep thinking uh, in the U.S., I can imagine all of our national parks becoming uh, official carbon sinks. Their job is to just suck, you know, carbon out of the atmosphere. Do that across the globe. Um, employ as many natural solutions as you can, uh, natural farming methods, really preserve nature as much as possible, and then invest in carbon removal technologies. They're out there. We just have to get them to scale. Uh, And then also, you know, solar panels have been around since the 50s. They've made almost, we've made almost no innovations. Uh, If we want this, uh, if we want to get our emissions down quickly, we need some innovation, you know? I mean, no one likes to say the word nuclear Um, But nuclear has the lowest uh, energy footprint of all that stuff. And so um, if we want to get serious about this, we have to really look at the numbers and 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 look at which of these things are going to have the biggest effect for the least amount of money. So that's that's what I uh, propose is to is to preserve nature, conserve, begin to adapt. Okay, we're not going to we're not going to solve this problem, but we we can uh, uh, we can certainly adapt to some of the things that we're seeing out there in the world.
0: Right, Mark. Now the world seems to have zeroed on this term called net zero. Yeah. How do you look at that? What What is it exactly? So I understand a bit, but then it would be nice to hear it from uh, from an expert. And secondly, what should we make out of it again? Like, is it going? Is it the answer that we are all looking for? But then every country has their own destination regarding this. They 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 Outlook is different. Plus, they have their own ways of committing uh, committing to this particular thing.
1: Yeah, net zero is code for not making the problem worse. <laughs> okay, so so net zero means I'm going to stop being bad, right? Because it's it's focused. One of the one of the the challenges and one of the things I think is is a bad focus is the world's entire focus is on emissions, right? How much are we spitting out into the air? So let me use it. I'm going to use a. An analogy with hopefully this works so imagine you go to a doctor and he, the doctor tells you that you are hundred pounds overweight so you have to lose that 100 pounds well in the climate world that's co2 levels we've got too much co2 in the atmosphere so we're 100 pounds overweight so you have a t- you eat 20 donuts a day <laughs> and so your plan for that is well um, here's what i'm going to do i'm going to go from 20 donuts a day to five donuts a day and I'm gonna I'm gonna save 15 donuts a day. That means I'm saving, right? And um, so if you do the math and you say, well, I've saved 15 donuts a day in divide goes into 100 pounds. Boom! I've lost all that weight. Well, then if you really step back and you think, well, wait a sec, I'm still eating five donuts a day. So I'm still making the problems worse. So um, emissions and net zero is focusing on the donuts. <laughs> so okay. so in this analogy. Um, it's going from 20 donuts a day to zero donuts a day, but Hey, guess what? Good for you. You're not getting fatter. Now you still have to lose a hundred pounds. That's the issue. So the reason I don't like uh, uh, net zero approaches is because it's focused only on the growth. It's at the end of it. Even if we get to net zero tomorrow, we still have to deal with CO2. We still have to make the whole total lower. Um, and no one ever, ever, ever talks about that. So, um, it's super expensive to get emissions down to zero. It's going to take, you know, half of a century to do that if we can ever get there, because the truth is there's no such thing as zero carbon energy. Every energy source adds adds it. So at the end of the day, when you do the accounting, it's still with the with, if you put all of this new technology into the world, you're still going to have more CO2 than you have today. It's just going to be less bad so even if you hit net zero you still have to start removing uh, carbon from the air and making total co2 lower so um so my my view is what if we know that we have to do that why don't we start that today why don't we start massive reforestation why don't we start uh, with all these natural preservation programs why don't we start developing and deploying large uh, uh carbon capture plants and and doing that today as opposed to focusing all of our energy on things like electric vehicles, uh, which may or may not have any effect ever on on the total picture. Um, So so net zero is what everyone's focused on because it's easy to say, and there's a bunch of products that are made that supposedly help you get to net zero. But my view is it's it's a false hope. When you do the math, you never get there. Even if you're successful with net zero, if we got to net zero tomorrow, we still have a big CO2 problem. It doesn't solve the problem, so so that's why I uh, that's why I kind of question it. That's why I think it's a big spend. Uh, we you know if you look at the amount of spending that's in the new U.S. Um, inflation Reduction Act bill, if all that money gets spent and all that product gets deployed, uh, I think the models show that it will only have point zero zero one degree effect on the temperature. Think about that. We're going to spend we're going to spend trillions of dollars, and it will have 0.001 degree effect that's that's just that's a bad investment that's a bad investment
0: okay so it means we are only buying a bit of time yes but 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 the, we might reach to a point of no return and that will be a very uh, different time actually so am I right
1: yeah, well, the point of no return, again, is is a narrative. Um, you know, we have been we keep hearing about this tipping point, uh, and the tipping point is always 10 years away, right? We read about this. And so 30 years ago, it was 10 years away. 20 years ago, it was 10 years away. You know, <laughs> today, it was supposed to happen, um, and it's not happening, right? So I, I, what is the tipping point? Where is the point of no return? I don't know that there is such a thing. I'll just, I'll just say that. I, I think no one can prove it science certainly doesn't prove it there's no there's no scientific uh basis for this idea that we're going to hit this point of no return the, the one thing we know about the earth is it adapts with or without us and so um so i don't know what such a thing is to me that's just this made up this made up point of the point of no climate return i i don't know that there is such a thing um you know we um I, I don't know that there is. We haven't reached it. We, yes, we are. We are certainly seeing signs that we are stressing the planet. But we have 8 billion people on the planet. We have twice as many as there were 30 or 40 years ago. So it only holds, you know, logic holds that, hey, maybe we're stressing some of our resources and that we have to be better stewards of the planet. If there's if there's one good thing that has come out of this entire discussion, it's that, right? We, we now know, we now see that, hey, we have a big effect on... Uh, on the planet, and that we need to be better stewards of this. Um, you know, we're not going to we're not going to kill two billion people to save a bunch of trees. We have to figure out how to coexist, and we have to figure out how to do this smartly, um, and and to be able to afford it. We're not going to reverse global economies uh, to do this. It's just not going to happen. And so, um, so again, a realistic approach. I think when you said that, you know, India has goals to hit 2070 net zero seems pretty realistic, right? It seems reasonable. You're you're not going to break the bank uh, and break the world's bank to to go do this. You seem to be, uh, that seems to be the right way to do it. Now, there are some who argue um, that, hey, that's way too late, but I would argue, hey, you know, um, net zero programs that are going to take us 30 or 40 years uh, to implement. If we're running out of time, (laughs) then that's going to run out of time too. Uh, So... um, so you know I, that's that's my thoughts on that.
0: Right, right, Mark. I think uh, you have covered all those things purely, uh, purely on the from the middle ground, and you have put us both sides of the whole issue very, very well, and it has educated us quite a bit. Now, what? How do people connect with you if they know want to know more about your water conservation startup? May want to uh, engage with you, and also to understand more about what you are doing what you are writing how to consume that part of your
1: yeah i uh, i'm certainly available on linkedin uh, under mark cortez so that that's one way to do it i have my website is climaturity uh, Climaturity climaturity.com so that's a great way to do it as well Uh, if they're interested in reading this uh the my my thoughts on this um can certainly buy it on amazon and, and do it that way um, and I'd love to talk more about this. One of the things that, that I really am encouraging, one of the, the things, I, the big services I think that what you do is uh, we're having discussions about it. In the U.S., there are no discussions. There are no debates. It's just one you know, one group of people yelling at the other who isn't listening. But if you ever want to get into a quick argument, try to discuss the climate. And boy, it gets heated real fast. No, no pun intended. So I think what you're doing is fantastic. You know, we have to be open to having this discussion, to be challenging things that just don't make logical sense. Look, we're paying a, a big bill, and uh, you know we're we're all being handed the bill for this. So uh, we should be asking questions for this. So, uh, so I think that that's that's one thing to do. So I am always available to, bold to discuss this. Would love to to have uh, more discussions about this with whoever wants to uh, contact me.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, Mark. The the you see the best part of democracy was. That people could agree to disagree.
1: Yeah, when, of course.
0: When that does not happen, that's a very unfortunate thing. From so, I do understand it, and I see it uh, for what's what's happening at the world's uh, largest democracy to the world's biggest democracy. So that yeah. thing we can we can fully understand. But I hope that there is enough hope for the planet left as we go by. With this. It's a wrap on this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live. Thank you so much, Mark, for coming on to the show.
1: Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure.